The Grow Kinder podcast features conversations with thought leaders in education, business, tech, and the arts, who all share one thing in common, a dedication to growing kinder in their work and lives, and helping others do the same. Brought to you by Committee for Children. Today we talk with Scarlett Lewis, founder and chief movement officer of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Movement. Scarlett founded the organization in honor of her son, Jesse, who was murdered during the Sandy Hook tragedy in December 2012. She believes that while we can't always choose what happens to us, we can choose how we respond. Scarlett tells the story about a note left by her son that became the inspiration for the movement. She talks about her courageous ability to overcome the unthinkable and why social-emotional learning is the answer to preventing future tragedies. Here's your host, Andrea Lovenhill. Hello, Grow Kinder podcast listeners. This is Andrea Levenhill, and I'm joining you solo today. I do wish I had some support because we're going to speak today to a very special individual, Scarlett Lewis, whose son, Jesse, was murdered during the Sandy Hook tragedy back in December of 2012. And I find this to be a very difficult but necessary topic to go into. Scarlett has really seen that in order to grieve and forgive and transform this tragedy for herself and her family and others, that she needed to move into advocating for social emotional learning and teaching kids about managing their emotions, feeling connected, having healthier relationships. She has founded the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Movement, and we're going to have a conversation with her about how she made that transformation and began to work in that space and how she's doing today. So welcome, Scarlett, to the Grow Kinder podcast. Thank you so much. It's my honor to be here. And we're honored to have you. Um, I have to admit, <laughs> I had a lot of trepidation this week about our conversation, which I'm sure you encounter sometimes um, speaking to other parents um, and folks in, in the social emotional learning space. And because also I have a, a kindergartner, about to start kindergartner, and I think quite a lot about the mass shooting at Sandy Hook and and your story in particular. And you are someone who took such a tragedy and chose to respond with compassion and to access a level of resiliency that I think is quite astounding. And so I was wondering if you could share with us what that process was like for you, how you you know, experienced moving through anger, and I'm sure you still feel anger sometimes, into a place of compassion and turning something that was unthinkable into a remarkable outcome for other kids? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> can I answer it the yeah, best that I can? Of course. <laughs> well, I had practiced being present before the tragedy. And that means, you know, being in the moment. I was a single mom. In fact, I was the only single parent of the Sandy Hook parents and worked full time. And so when I was with my kids, I was uh, with my kids. I mean, we didn't have a TV. We read together at night. And uh, I look back on that and I, I feel like that is the key to living life with the fewest regrets is you know really being present with the ones that you love looking them in the eyes having those conversations spending the quality time not in front of screens and so i did practice doing that and because of that 
we had a lot of incredible moments, you know, life's moments. And even one, the last time that I saw Jesse, when I walked him out to the end of the driveway to meet his dad, who was picking him up for school. And I turned around to give him a hug and realized that he had written with his little fingernail on the frost on the side of my car, I love you. And he had drawn little hearts in all my windows and, you know, just practicing being present, knowing that that was one of life's moments, I took a picture of it. And so I actually have the last picture taken of Jesse, and I had a picture of my my goodbye message in essence. And uh, I think that that was a very helpful thing to not look back and have a lot of regrets. And then there's the reality that what happened to him is 100% preventable. And of course, I do fall into back into anger uh, sometimes about that. But I, I felt like I could do nothing but dedicate the rest of my life to being part of the solution to the issues that we're experiencing in schools today that then translate out into our society because they don't stop when we graduate. And when I started this whole, I I call it an adventure now, I, of course, I thought I was going to be dedicating my life to help, you know, helping the issue of bullying, which has increased since we started officially tracking it in 2003, and school violence. But then I started looking at the issues that were around when I was a child that are just at epidemic levels now. I'm talking about mental illness and anxiety in particular, and uh, substance abuse, to name a few, suicide. And I realized that, you know, that something had to be done about that. And a a very, very helpful part of the process of moving towards forgiveness and being part of the solution was a message that Jesse wrote on our kitchen chalkboard. He had actually written three words shortly before he died. I found them after I came back to the house and he had written nurturing, healing, love. Now he was six years old and those it is amazing. And and the words were phonetically spelled because he was in first grade and just learning to write. I saw that message and I knew instantly that, well, that he had had a spiritual awareness, that he wasn't going to be around for very much longer. I believe that with all my heart. But I also knew that if Adam Lanza, and that was the young man that perpetrated the crime, the former student whose mother had taught at the school, If Adam had been able to give and receive nurturing, healing love, the tragedy would never have happened. And it was so simple and so clear to me in that moment. And I knew that I would be spending the rest of my life spreading that message. And, you know, that's what I'm doing tonight at uh, 630 in my kitchen talking with you on a Friday night. I live, eat, sleep, breathe, nurturing, healing love. Yes, that that amazing message that your son left for you, it's sort of, I think you've talked about it as kind of a formula for choosing love. And a lot of the work that um, you do around that is through the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement. So what was the process of getting to the point where you had created an entity that could help you move the work forward that you think would create the world that kind of mirrored what what the way that Jesse lived in the world? 
Well, actually, the whole movement to choose love and the concept and idea came about at Jesse's funeral. I got up to speak on that day, and I said this whole tragedy started with an angry thought in in Adam Lanza's head, and I pictured him as a little boy having an angry thought without the tools or nurturing environment to deal with that thought. We know so much about thoughts. And this is what I had studied actually before Jesse died. I mean, we know that all of us in general have between 50 and 70,000 thoughts a day. We know through the latest neuroscience that the majority of those thoughts, 70 to 80% are negative. That means angry, non-productive, and they don't serve us. We know that our thoughts are what create our perception of our reality. And if we know that the majority of our thoughts every day are negative and repetitive, it really makes us want to be mindful of what we put into our head. And it, it is a choice when we have that awareness and a few skills and tools. And I, I had pictured Adam Lanza as a little boy having an angry thought without the tools or nurturing environment. Every thought that we have is wiring our brain in one direction or another. Every thought we're either flourishing or languishing. And so his thoughts built upon one another and uh, led to what happened at Sandy Hook. And the whole realization came to me that, you know, a thought could be changed. So that means that that whole series of events could have been changed at any time. So when I stood in front of the congregation, I said, this whole tragedy started with an angry thought. An angry thought can be changed. So everyone's been asking me, what can we do to help? And I said, there is actually something that everyone can do. You can start thinking about what you think about, and you can change one angry thought into a loving thought every day. I said, by doing that, you will positively impact yourself, those around you, and through the ripple effect, you will make this a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. It's pretty simple. Loving thoughts feel good. Uh, when we feel good, that's reflected in how we treat one another. Angry, hateful, resentful thoughts feel bad. When we feel bad, that is also reflected in our behavior. And so people literally went back out to the four corners of the United States. And about a week later, they started calling me, emailing me, texting me, saying that one simple act had completely changed their life. And... uh I knew that I was onto something there, and that was my original idea, actually, for the Choose Love movement was to go out with that simple, simple message and just spread that throughout the world and empower people with that understanding. But then, uh, you know, I have friends that are educators and school counselors and uh, college professors, and I started talking about it with them, and they literally took that concept and blew the roof off of it and created the Choose Love Enrichment Program, which is now a, we call it next generation social emotional learning program that's being taught in every state and 80 countries by word of mouth. That's amazing. Did And Tell us a little more about that program and the impact that you're seeing through social emotional learning. How is that approach delivered on, you know, sort of maybe some of the ideas and hopes that you had in the beginning? Well, so we went back to Jesse's message of nurturing, healing, love. And I knew what that message meant to me, but I thought there might be 
more to it. So I was actually connected to a doctoral professor. His name is Dr. Chris Cook. He's the director of the Compassion, Creativity, and Innovation Center at Western Connecticut State University. He's the author of The Compassionate Achiever. He literally came over to my house. I showed him the side of my oven, which is the kitchen chalkboard. And I said, you know, is the, do you think that there's a greater meaning to this message? So he took those three words with him and he did some research and he called me a couple of days later and he said, that message is, uh, those three words are in the definition of compassion across all cultures. And together we broke down the meaning of each of the words and we found that it comprised a profound formula for choosing love in any situation, circumstance, or interaction. Literally, this formula can lead you to choosing love with whatever you're facing or have faced in your life. So the formula, and this is this is the foundation for all of our programming. The formula starts with courage because <laughs> it takes, courage is, is the most important character value and it's the one that underlies all the rest of them. And it actually takes courage to do the rest of the formula well. Nurturing means loving kindness and gratitude. Gratitude being the great mind shifter. When you think about all the tens of thousands of thoughts that go through our heads every single day, the majority of which are negative, um, it's interesting to realize that you can't have two thoughts at once. So that means you can't have an angry, negative, non-productive thought, lower energy thought, and a grateful thought at once. So gratitude's literally the great mind shifter. And then healing literally means forgiveness. And forgiveness has been a huge component of my own healing. But it's interesting, the response that I got when people heard that I wanted to put forgiveness in the formula was, hmm, forgiveness, that's a very lofty subject for kids. Do you think they're going to be able to handle it? <laughs> and, and what we found is that it is not a lofty topic for kids. It is a lofty topic for us adults. We don't completely understand it. We don't practice it on a on a regular basis. We don't like to talk about it sometimes. And so it's really um it's been a wonderful thing for for everyone to start to really dig into and and learn about kids. Kids, it's their favorite character value by the way, which is crazy. It's not it's not what I would have thought, but um it's pretty amazing. Uh and then love is compassion in action. Compassion has two components. There's the empathetic component, but empathy lights up the same receptors in our brain as physical pain. Empathy is actually a painful process. Compassion, though, has two components. There's the identifying or the empathetic component, and then there's the action component. The action component is when we do something to help ease that pain. And I say all of the nurturing, healing love that we give out we get back. So when you have the courage to practice gratitude, 
And then that can strengthen you to consider forgiveness. And then you step outside of your own pain to help someone else. You're choosing love. And so that is the foundation for all of our programming, all of the five core components of social emotional learning, plus positive psychology and mindfulness and neuroscience are all taught underneath and within that formula for choosing love. That actually brings up a couple of different questions or, or things I'd like to talk to you about. You, you talked about courage as being under underlying most of this. And and first of all, I know that you learned of a heroic act that Jesse did on the day that he was killed. And I wonder if you would tell us a little about that and, and thinking about, you know, his courage and the virtue that he possessed around that. Absolutely. Well, the courage actually does come from Jesse. Jesse's brave actions actually saved nine of his classmates that day. When the gunman came into his classroom, his gun jammed. And during the short delay that it took for him to reload, uh, change his clip, Jesse called to his friends to run. And they said it's because he told them to run that they ran and he was able to save nine lives. And so when I talk about courage, uh, age appropriately, of course, I do share that story because Jesse was a six-year-old little boy. We all have that courage within us. Courage is, however, like a muscle. We have to be aware that we have it and we have to practice it. But we literally all have that courage. But of course, it takes courage to do a lot of things in our lives. It takes courage to be present. It takes courage to uh, do something that is outside our comfort zone. It takes courage to uh, be our authentic self, to speak our truth, to do the right thing. And, and you start to hear that these aren't kid-centric things. These are human-centric things, which, of course, we know social and emotional learning is good for everyone, and it is a practice, not a program. So all of these things are relevant uh, for for everyone, not just kids. And you've, you know, in in sort of talking about what happened to Jesse and your family and, and the aftermath of that and, and speaking about the shooter, Adam Lanza, and talking about forgiveness, I, I see that as such a courageous act. And I would imagine you got some pushback to um, talking about forgiveness in this context. And you've talked about also making a, a conscious choice on certain days to, to forgive again, not not necessarily condone. Um, can you speak more to the complexities of of sort of trying to choose love in the aftermath of of something that most people would would feel the natural choice was was anger? Forgiveness was probably the most important component of my healing, and you're right; it was not popular uh, when I started talking about it. I, I kind of I, I sat back for a while and I watched the reactions of people and I saw the blame that was being placed on Adam Lanza and his mother. And by the way, I just want to explain that I do say the shooter's name, Adam Lanza, in certain audiences because I think it's imperative that we remember that uh, these shooters are human beings too. And one of the most important lessons that I've learned over the past six years is that there are only two kinds of people. There are good people and there are good people in pain. 
And when I found out about Adam Lanza's life, I realized he did everything right until the last couple of years of his life. I mean, literally, he had needs that were known, that weren't met. He was bullied. He was neglected. He he cried out for help. He waved red flags. And it, he fell through the cracks at every turn. And so it's it's actually easier for me to be angry for him than it is to be angry at him. But then getting back to the blame, uh, I th- I think when as human beings, what do, what do we have a tendency to do when something doesn't go our way, and and it's to blame? Who whose fault is it? And I saw that the blame obviously went towards Adam Lanza and his mother who armed him, but for me that didn't work. I realized it couldn't be that easy, right? I mean. I wish that it could have been all their fault, because if it was, then it would never have happened before, and it would never happen again. But wait a minute. (laughs) Unfortunately, over the last six years, this has become our new normal. We all know it's going to happen again. We just don't know where and we don't know when. And it's it's made the level of anxiety go up in everyone, parents, students, and educators. And so that can't be their fault. It can't be all their fault. So, and when you when you look to place the blame, then you say, well, then whose fault is it? And I had to look at myself. I had to take my part of the responsibility for living in a society where we are allowing things like this to happen. And it was only then that I could take my part of the responsibility and then be part of the solution. Does that make sense? It does. I And I could see where we talk about pushback or, or sort of the popularity of taking that stance, where that takes some constant courage from you. And I also, I think it hints at when we talk about school safety and, and gun control and some of the debates that are out there, you have seen social emotional learning as a solution. I personally, I have a lot of anxiety about my son entering school (laughs) in the fall and some of the safety measures that he will have to take. And and I think when Sandy Hook happened, I remember, even though there had been mass shootings, thinking it was unthinkable and we're no longer there. It's not something that's unthinkable. It's something that we have to think about and that our children have to think about. How do you see social emotional learning uh, and supports for social skills and empathy and uh, compassion in schools being part of a bigger solution. I've said since day one that it is the number one way to have a safe school. And, uh, you know, traditionally, we focus on the issues. I mean, we've done that with anti-bullying, with substance abuse, with suicide. And unless we focus on the cause, we cannot be solving anything. And of course, we've seen this with all of our efforts on those issues that have just escalated. So our efforts in school safety have been external safety measures, active shooter protocol, arming, not arming school resource officers, single point entries, door locks, bulletproof film, all those external safety measures. And they're important. I am not taking away from the importance of external safety measures. However, none of that addresses the cause of why a child would want to harm themselves or someone else. The only thing that I know that does that is social and emotional learning. 
social and emotional learning cultivates safety from the inside out of every child by teaching them how to have healthy relationships, how to manage their emotions, how to make responsible decisions, how to be resilient to the issues that we know they're going to face and maybe some that we don't anticipate. That is cultivating safety from the inside out of every child. And I maintain that you cannot have a a school safety plan, a, a comprehensive school safety plan without addressing both the external and the internal safety measures. And I would like to bring up uh, an incredible example of this. The state of New Hampshire under uh, Governor Sununu was the first state to release their statewide school safety initiative. And uh, all the states are working on it right now. Governor Sununu was the first to release his in July 2018, and his his safety plan focused on social and emotional learning. And uh, Governor Sununu actually hired somebody out of his office, a social emotional learning coordinator whose sole job it is, is to get uh, the social emotional learning into as many schools as possible. She actually reports directly to the director of Homeland Security. That tells you how, how committed uh, that state is to this. And they chose our program, the Choose Love Enrichment Program, as the backbone of support. And so I'm up in New Hampshire working a, a lot. But I, I love to show that example because that's the example that the rest of the states should follow. We should have a top-down effort in every single state. And what is your feeling about um, how parents need to interact with schools around this and support these initiatives? Well, here's what I found out. Ultimately, we're all responsible for our children's safety. But when it comes down to accountability, we as parents are the ones that are accountable. So when you send your child into school, you're ultimately accountable for their safety. What does that mean? That means that you need to be involved. I wasn't involved. I was a single mom. I work long hours. And I just thought, you know, I uh, it's my job to clothe, bathe, feed, love, and have fun with my kids. The school's going to educate. They know what they're supposed to be doing, and, and that's the end of it. And I really didn't have that much interaction with the school. I regret that. I think that parents need to ask questions. And of course, as I travel, parents will say to me, well, what should I do? I, I'm feeling anxious, as you indicated that you were. And I say, well, there, there are two things that I would uh, have you do. I would have you make sure that you're, or ask the question, see if your school has a comprehensive social and emotional learning program that is taught with fidelity, which means embraced by all, find out what the name of it is, and be involved, maybe helping with that process. And then I tell parents to go on to safeandsoundschools.org website. This is another two Sandy Hook victims moms who came together. They now have the top school safety experts in the world on their board of directors. And their website has incredible resources that are free, including the latest safety 
protocol checklist that you can print out and you can just see, you can go over it. Um, you can go to a board of ed meeting or go over it with your principal and just say, hey, you know, here's the checklist. What have we done? These are external safety measures I'm talking about now. What have we done? What do we need to do? You may not feel like you need to check off everything on that list, but there may be some things that are really important. Maybe you have to do some fundraising. But once you've done those two things, then you can feel good in knowing that I believe that's you've, you've done everything that you can. And then for the rest of it, you just have to let it go. Hmm. And you spoke earlier about part of compassion being action. And in your TED Talk that you gave a few years back, you said that while the mass shooting at Sandy Hook was you know, one of the greatest tragedies, it was also the greatest day of compassion. And is there an act of compassion that you experienced in that aftermath that you think really exemplifies compassion, that action that people take um, that you won't, that you'll never forget? There are so many incredible acts of compassion. It was beautiful to behold, even in that terrible, dark time after having had a child murdered horrifically, uh, I was overwhelmed by goodness and love that I saw all around me. And there's so many that come to mind. I've actually been thinking and talking about one letter that I received in particular over the last couple of days, so I'll talk about that one. This man had written me about a six-page handwritten letter front and back of the pages, and he was talking about how he had a five-year-old son who became ill, and over the course of several years, he watched him suffer and then die from his illness. And he basically said throughout this letter, for the last 10 years, because I guess it was, you know, it happened quite a while ago, I've asked myself, why? Why me? Why my son? Why now? Why not someone else? Just why? And he he ended his letter saying, perhaps now I know why. It's so that I could write you this letter and tell you not to focus on the why, but more the why not. And I understood exactly what he was saying. I, you know, I made a decision and it was really a conscious decision following Jesse's murder that I was not going to be another victim of Adam Lanza and that that was my choice. And I wanted to have a good life. I wanted JT to see me as a model of how to get through difficulty all the way up to trauma in your life. And that started really early on. I was very conscious of, of JT and his eyes on me all the time. I mean, we were, we were together. Uh, well, it's just JT and I after Jesse's murder. And uh, I was very conscious of him watching my every move, every word that came out of my mouth, every look that I gave. And I knew that I was shaping and teaching him the way that he would handle difficulty all the way up to tragedy for the rest of his life. And it really helped me 
uh, be aware of that in the moment. And it really helped me find strength because I wanted to model what that looked like for him in a healthy way. And I was able to do that. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I, I wasn't emotional and that I wasn't sad. I still cry every day throughout the day, but it did help me be strong. And I think that as parents, we, if we looked at modeling behavior in that way, that kids are not necessarily listening to what we say, but they're watching what we do and that that's so vitally important. And if we took the perspective that that's helping to strengthen us to be the type of people that we want our kids to grow up to be, I think it's very helpful. Did you have that for yourself? Was there an adult in your life who was a model, a, a positive influence that that has really, that, you know, kind of stands out as you were growing up that kind of gave you the, not necessarily in grief and, and loss of this magnitude, but, um, you know, around sort of kindness and, and having, you know, positivity in your life? Well, this, you know, I was thinking, I, I got this question earlier and I was thinking about it and I'm going to give you an answer that you're not really going to anticipate, but I thought about it a lot. And I think it was really my connection with horses because uh, hmm. I've I've been around horses my entire life and horses have always given me, my love of horses, I should say, has given me the courage to kind of push myself out of my comfort zones, uh, trying different things with them. I jumped, I herded cows, and I raced them, and I bred them, and I was constantly trying different things, all different kinds of things, driving them, and uh, and I was constantly pushing myself outside of my comfort zone and facing my fear and then overcoming it. And I think that that ability and, and having practiced that really helped me in this situation really be able to transcend the fear that came up in all of this. Yeah, that's a, a very unique answer. You're right. I would not have anticipated <laughs> it. Uh, although I was, I did grow up in Kentucky. So I, um, I don't think you're allowed to grow up there without, you know, a, a love of horses. Yeah. So we sort of we talk about kindness on this podcast. It's called Grow Kinder. Kindness is not always related to social emotional learning. It sounds like you have made that connection very explicitly. We talked about kind of the virtues that that you espouse within your approach to social emotional learning. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you see kindness and its importance in the world. And if is there is there a difference? Is kindness another word for compassion, or what do you see as differences there? Well, I always say that love is kindness, caring, concern, compassion. And in our program, we strive to teach kids to thoughtfully respond with love in every situation, circumstance, and interaction. And love means kindness, caring, concern, compassion. And when we respond, thoughtfully respond in any situation, circumstance, or interaction with love or kindness, we take our personal power back. We literally take our control back and we make the world a better place. 
When we react with anger, hatred, and revenge, we literally give our personal power away and we become victims. So I really do liken love with kindness. And our whole message of choosing love is is uh, totally related to choosing kindness because when we have an awareness and a few skills and tools, emotional management, we can choose to be kind in any interaction. And I think it is it is so vitally important uh, that we do that. I mean, that's that makes the world a safer, more peaceful and loving place. And uh, so we just call it choose love, but it could be just as easily choose kindness. Hmm. What is a one act of kindness that you've wit- witnessed more recently that stands out to you? Well, I think I would have to say that it is my 19-year-old son, uh, JT, who has kind of stepped in this summer. He is just finishing up his freshman year uh, of uh, university, and he's kind of stepped in to help us with our social media, and he spent the day today in our office in Newtown helping to stuff envelopes for our fundraising mailing. And uh, that is, I think that was very kind. He wasn't paid. He was a volunteer. And uh, as frustrated as he gets sometimes with me (laughs) and the way I run our social media, gosh, mom, Mom, no, 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 no. You just hand me that. I'll do it for you. <laughs> hmm. So that's that that happened today. So I will I will say that that's the act of kindness that comes to mind. Oh uh, yes, the the um the tech support <laughs> kindness too. That's one that that I experienced somewhat myself. Absolutely. <laughs> so you know, with everything that is uh, that has happened and the learning that you've done around social emotional learning, and then the creation of this um, of this movement, are there things that you, as a parent um, with JT, sort of made I- intentional changes or did more of following the tragedy? Following the tragedy, but but also specifically in learning more about you know the tenets of social emotional learning. And and sort of what you, the work you're doing with schools that you that you're sort of putting this messaging out. I'm curious how that's changed your parenting, if at all, or or was it very in line with what you were kind of already doing? Are there intentional ways that you're that you changed your your parenting or or things that you would want to share with other parents? You know, that's a great question because when I found Jesse's message of nurturing, healing, love, and I talked to Dr. Chris Cook, and I said. How do I get this message into schools? Because I know I'm going to be spending the rest of my life spreading it. He told me it's called social and emotional learning. I'd never heard of it before. And so I started doing research and I was floored at all of the research that that showed that social emotional learning not only increases grades and test scores and attendance and graduation rates and reduces mental illness and and behavioral issues and bullying. And then, you know, we have decades of this showing that it reduces substance abuse and incarceration and even divorce rates. I was I was floored that there was a solution out there. But the more I looked into it, the more I realized, oh my gosh, I don't have these skills and tools. 
I am not socially and emotionally intelligent. And I have to tell you that within the last six years, I have learned social and emotional learning myself as an adult. And my life is exponentially better in every way. I mean, obviously, I would give all of the growth that I've experienced back to be with Jesse for one more second. But all of this growth through social and emotional learning as an adult has made me such a better parent, a better friend, a a better part of the community, a better leader for sure. And uh, my, I uh, dramatically improved um, my ability to navigate life. And I can't say enough how social emotional learning is really for the lifespan. It's why we offer lifespan programming. I believe that social and emotional learning would have saved Jesse's life and Adam Lanza's life. Uh, And I believe that social and emotional learning, and we know this through the results of all the research, could reduce and prevent so much of the suffering that we're experiencing in schools that then translates out into our society. It's just a different way of thinking. So we, we normally focus on well we focus on the negative because of our negative bias <laughs> and we we are we have an ingrained negative bias that we're born with and this is to keep us safe you know cave in caveman times we scan for danger and even though our times are just a little bit different now we're still scanners and that makes us focus on the negative think about our thoughts the majority of our thoughts are negative right and it's because of this negative bias social and emotional learning is a little bit different it is proactive prevention so it makes us step outside of our comfort zone a little bit to focus on proactive prevention. But until we do that, until we find the courage, and by the way, it does take courage, and that has been part of my job over the last six years is to cultivate the courage that it takes to step outside of what we've been doing and that what and what hasn't been working, by the way, to do something that is scientifically proven to work, but it's just a little bit different than what we're used to be doing. And uh, But until we do that, we are going to continue to see these is- issues escalate. Yeah, here at Committee for Children, I this is my experience. I know others would, would probably agree that when I came to this organization and, and thought about working in social emotional learning, I didn't have experience in that. I had been in nonprofit for quite a while, but not specific to social emotional learning. And when I started to read about it and thought about coming into the organization, I could immediately see all of the positive effects that could have been there for me <laughs> as a kid. Right, right. And, and again, for me as an adult. And, and I my experience has been similar to yours in, in working in this field all of my relationships are better than when I started. That talking about it every day, seeing it uh, in the classroom, working with educators that care about it has helped me in that way as well. And that also it, we talk about it as it is a lifelong process. It's a, it's a continual learning. You're, you're never perfect in your social emotional competencies all the time. And it's, there are processes and, and practices that you can adopt to help with that. 
One of the growing areas of interest, I think, in the research is mindfulness. And you've spoken about that um, a bit. I wonder if you'd go into what you see as as the connections between mindfulness and social emotional learning and and how you talked about being present. How are you using mindfulness in your own life and work? I practice, I try to practice mindfulness every day, almost all day long. And that's in being present, being mindful of, of where I am and how I'm feeling and really what I'm doing and in the moment. I think, especially with all of the trauma that our kids are bringing to school today, I mean, the research that we had 20 years ago in the ACEs study was saying that one in five kids was coming to school traumatized. Today, it's about 50%. And when you're going through a difficult time, you're not necessarily accessing your prefrontal cortex, which is where logic and reasoning reside. And that goes for all of us, by the way. When we're highly stressed out, we're in freeze, fight, or flight, and we're not making the best decisions. And so mindfulness helps us come back to our home base, helps us be aware and present, basically, here and now. And if you think about it, everything's pretty good right now. And uh, it helps us maintain equilibrium and control. And uh, it's, it's a very important part of then preparing the child to learn social and emotional intelligence and be prepared to learn their academics as well. So we we definitely, we included uh, mindfulness. We have mindful minutes. Our team actually does a, a mindful practice every morning by, uh, by uh, mindfulness sessions by David Romanelli, whom I love. He's one of my favorite mindfulness guys. And we have an extension program done uh, that we in partnership with Sensational Kids and Allison Morgan, who has an incredible program um, for schools. And so we've just, I, I've actually been so blessed to have partnered with incredible people and and met some the best of the best. And it's helped my own personal learning. I have the attitude that I'm, I'm open to everything and uh, I'm always learning and growing. And so it's, it's been quite an adventure. What's your, you know, when you think about future generations of um, of kids and and the social emotional skills that you want to help them with. What's your biggest hope for that? What does um, success, for lack of a better term, look like for you? Well, my personal goal is to have allow every children access to social and emotional learning. Every child access to social and emotional learning. Social and emotional learning is for everyone, and it is my personal goal that at least we get it into every school. It's my understanding that it's in less than 10% of schools now. And so, you know, we have a lot of work to do, but the trend is moving towards social and emotional learning and the awareness of the importance of this. Uh, even in the last six years when I've been traveling, I, I used to be explaining what social and emotional learning is now, and just six years later, now I'm seeing national social emotional learning conferences that are packed. 
and happening uh, in every state. And there, there's a state legislator that are coming up with standards in different states and just the general awareness that this is something that is very important. And I think when we understand that social emotional learning is an essential part of school safety, it takes it from what it has been which is kind of like a, well, it's nice to have, you know, if we have time, we'll try to fit it in, maybe here and there, to an absolutely essential part of school safety. We have to start looking at it that way. And so, you know, my goal is that kids can once again, uh, kids and educators go to school and parents can send their kids to school and feel complete personal safety, right? They, they just are safe in that space and they're receiving the essential life skills that we know that they're going to need in college. And then, of course, we know the research that's been around for a long time as far as uh, work is concerned. That uh, And now, um, finally, employers are catching up where they're looking for employees with higher social and emotional intelligence than IQ, because the bottom line is that employees with higher social and emotional intelligence are twice as productive. They are more innovative, more creative, better decision makers, work better in groups. I mean, pretty similar to kids. And so this can benefit everyone. And so, you know, it's my hope that everyone will take advantage of what is offered. And ultimately, we call it choosing love. Because when you have these skills and tools and the awareness, it is a choice. And and we can all thoughtfully respond with love in any situation, circumstance, or interaction. That's a world that I want to live in. That's quite a goal. <laughs> it is. so, <laughs> And an inspiring one. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. If our listeners wanted to know more about you and the Cheese Love Movement, where should they go? They can go to our website. It's jessielewischooselove.org. Jesse spelled J-E-S-S-E-L-E-W-I-S, chooselove.org. Thank you. And especially thanks for spending your evening with us. So we appreciate all that you're doing to promote social emotional learning and, and carry that message forward. Thank you so much. There is really no more important conversation that we could be having than keeping our kids safe and giving them the skills and tools that they need for life. So thank you very much for having this conversation with me. Thank you for listening to our conversation with Scarlett Lewis. You can find more episodes at growkinderpodcast.org and make sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher.